someday we'll get that down, Jay. <laughs> I want to welcome you this evening. If I haven't had the pleasure of meeting you, my name is Crystal Zayden, and I have the honor of being the campus pastor here at our Second Street campus. Jay, thank you for the shout out. Yeah. <clears throat> it's Christmas, you guys. It is Christmas season. That is what is happening right now. And I don't know about you all, but like there's nothing quite like the anticipation of Christmas morning, right? Now, I'll be honest with you, I don't feel it on as deep of a level that I felt it when I was a kid. Like I remember when I was a kid, like didn't the days leading up to Christmas feel like years sometimes? Like you just, you could not wait, right? The anticipation was just coursing through you. And it's not like the presents were everything, but the presents were something. And like, you just couldn't wait to open them on Christmas morning. Or in my house, it was Christmas Eve. My dad had this incredible game that he would play with us where he would taunt us the entire season and be like, you know, nothing's happening till Christmas morning and keep your hands off of that and, you know, nothing's going to... And then Christmas Eve would roll around and then he'd look over at my mother and he'd go, Dixie, surely they should open just one. And my mom would go, Larry, we're not doing this again. And he'd go, no, they're... Just one. Let's just let them open one. So that was the game that played out year after year. But no matter what, I had this I can't wait feeling inside of me. And so one year, I literally couldn't wait. So my sister and I, after school one day, mom and dad were at work. So we carefully took our fingernails and the scissors and we just sliced open one end of the package and made sure the paper I know none of you did this it was just my sister and I and we like this was before gift bags y'all those were not even a thing and like we slid the box out <sighs> opened it up screamed with delight slid the box back in, <laughs> carefully closed it, and taped it back up because we couldn't wait. But there's other times in our life, right, where we're like, I can't wait. Like, I, I, I'm tired of waiting. Or what I'm waiting for is it ever even gonna happen? I won't wait. I can't wait. But in life, isn't it true that sometimes in the waiting, the waiting not just for Christmas or a gift at Christmas, but I'm talking about our circumstances to change. For healing to come, for our marriage to finally be healthy, for reconciliation with that loved one that you've been waiting for forever. 
in this waiting, we can grow hopeless. We can live disappointed all over us. We can grow faithless. And the truth is we can doubt that that gift will ever come, that gift of reconciliation, that gift of healing. But more importantly, we can doubt that God is even up to something. Especially in our very own, very personal circumstances. Will you pray with me? God, as we gather here this evening and we fix our eyes and our hearts on you and we worship you, we adore you, we pray that you would speak, Lord, in that gentle whisper to our hearts, to our souls, to our circumstances, to our very own, very personal lives. Would you just have an encounter with each one of us? God, I pray you take every piece of me out of this and let it be you. Let your voice just echo through this room, through our hearts, through our minds, through our souls. In your son Jesus' name, amen. When I think of waiting, it's very difficult to not think of people waiting for the Messiah. I mean, we think we wait for things. We cannot begin to imagine what a people felt like waiting and waiting and waiting. You know, you look at the, pro the prophecy that was passed down and talked about and prayed over and echoed through. You know, the prophets, they spoke words from God to the people. I heard them coined as people with swords in their mouths and tears on their faces. You know, this was the life that they were called to. And they would say things like in the book of Isaiah, in, verse, or in chapter 7, verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. This is a verse, if you've gone to church at Christmas, you've probably heard it. And we say it and we read it almost kind of casually. But this was written 700 years before Christ was born. 700 years. Waiting. In Micah 5, 2 and 4, it says, But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, are only a small village among all the people of Judah, yet a ruler of Israel whose origins are in the distant past, will come from you on my behalf, and he will stand to lead his flock with the Lord's strength in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. Then his people will live there undisturbed, 
for he will be highly honored around the world. We know Jesus was born in Bethlehem, and the scripture tells us in advance the place that Jesus would be born. This prophecy was written by Micah approximately 800 years before Christ was born. 800 years. You know, this Christmas series that we're embarking on, it's all about believing it, receiving it, and giving it. And this message in particular tonight is all about how God is up to something and that he will, he will accomplish his will in the world. He will. Will you believe it? Will you believe it? Let me tell you about somebody in the Bible who, will, who would have heard and lived by prophecy. It would have been his whole entire life. These verses I just read are verses he would have grown up with. He would have known them inside and out. And little did he know that he would become part of them being fulfilled and that his son would be the voice crying out in the wilderness. His name is Zachariah, and his wife was Elizabeth. And if you'll pardon me, for part of this evening, we might even call them Zach and Liz. <laughs> and the reason we will do that is because I want you to understand, we probably know a Zach, we probably know a Liz. And these were people just like you and I. In Luke 1, 5, it says this. When Herod was king of Judea, there was a Jewish, Jewish priest named Zechariah. He was a member of the priestly order of Abishah, and his wife Elizabeth was also from the priestly line of Aaron. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all the Lord's commandments and regulations. They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive and they were both very old. One day, Zechariah was serving God in the temple, for his order was on duty that week. I'm going to pause there, because I want you to understand that according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn, fell to burn incense. And only priests from a particular lineage could serve in the temple. So over the years, the number of priests multiplied and multiplied. And they figure probably around Jesus' time, there was as many as 20,000 priests. So they used the lot to determine which priest would serve when. And the lot to serve might fall to a priest only once in his life. Once in his life. So to a godly man like Zechariah, this was probably the biggest event in his life. 
This was a tremendous privilege, a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And surely he wondered what it would be like to take this moment in time, to enter this holy place. Was God going to say something special to him? Was something incredible going to happen? He had to wonder. He had to imagine. And he had to have asked the other priests, right? What was it like when you went in? Did anything happen? How did it go? The whole event had to have been filled with enormous anticipation. So we pick up in verse 9. As was the custom of the priests, he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. While the incense was being burned, a great crowd stood outside praying. While Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him, but the angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife Elizabeth will give you a son, and you are to name him John. You will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from birth. And he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, and he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. So let's take a bunch of steps back and talk about these passages. It is doubtful that when Zechariah entered that temple, he prayed for a son. Can you imagine, with the weight of the world on his shoulders, that he would take time to pray for his immediate needs? When you get this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, maybe there is a chance you're praying for the world or for your city or, most likely, for the coming Messiah, but probably not for yourself. And also, since he and Elizabeth were both so old, advanced in years, they had probably given up on this prayer a long, long time ago. You see, sometimes we pray for something for a long, long, long time. We pray for the salvation of a loved one or a spouse child, we pray for the healing of a disease, we pray for that ever-elusive job, we pray for a calling or a ministry, we pray that God would bring that special person into our lives, that after years of heartfelt prayer, sometimes we give up out of discouragement. Zachariah and Elizabeth had probably prayed for years and years, passionately prayed for a son over and over and over again, but probably had given up a long time ago and stopped believing God for the answer to that prayer. When we are in that place, sometimes we begin in the smallest of ways to doubt 
God's love and care for our specific needs. Will we believe God for it? Will we believe he's up to something? I reached out to a few friends that I know intimately have struggled with infertility. And I wanted to hear from their point of view what it was like to take that walk with the Lord. So my first friend said this. Every month that passed was another disappointing reminder that my body was not working the way God designed it to. My husband and I got down on our knees and we prayed regularly, asking God to fulfill the desire he had put in our hearts. I knew that I knew that he had brought together two people to whom he'd given the desire to have children, and there was no way that he wouldn't make it happen. I remember one time God told me to trust his promises and reminded me that he is faithful. My heart ached and doubt would creep in, but I clung to God's goodness. Another friend said, the emotions of sadness, anxiety, rejection, isolation, exclusion, loneliness, and then there was hope. Thoughts of why all the time surrounded my mind. Why me? Why not me? Why does it have to be so hard for me? Why is it so easy for others? Why? 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 A third friend wrote this. To describe that time in my life, I would say, at moments it was the darkest point of my life to date. Living two weeks at a time, in between the fertile period and the point where you find out if your body responded to carry a child that you've been dreaming of is pure torture. It's a slow drip of constant emotional abuse. The hope that you might have a child and the pain and disappointment when it does not come each and every month. The comments, just stop thinking about it, or it will happen if you stop trying, cut deeper than a sword. Coming from people who mean well, but don't understand how devastating it actually is. It is difficult not to allow sex to become a job or a chore rather than a gift that you've been given. There is so much anger toward God for creating a woman to carry a child. The only means by which to bring about more children, but I was being left out. There was something inherently wrong with me. And if God wasn't going to allow my body to do what he designed it to do, why would he not remove the desire for it also? But this is where I met Jesus. In ways I would have never met him. He poured his purpose and his identity over me, and it never had anything to do with my body or what it was capable of or having a child. It became everything to do with what he is capable of and what he's capable of doing through me. He lifted my chin, and he walked me through being okay if children were not in my future. And he brought friends to me who are now my sisters, who tenderly walked me through the pit of despair, who prayed over me, sang over me, 
showered me in truth, and loved my husband and I in ways we could not love ourselves and sometimes each other. That's maybe a little bit of what Zach and Liz struggled with through years of their life. But the truth is, Zach, God always loves and his care never stops. Zach maybe had given up on the idea of being a dad. It was a hope that was crushed over years of disappointment. But God, God hadn't given up on it. God hadn't given up on it. In verse 18, it says, Zachariah said to the angel, how can I be sure this will happen? I'm an old man now. And my wife is also well along in years. Then the angel said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. It was he who sent me to you with this good news. But now since you didn't believe what I said, you will be silent and unable to speak until the child is born. For my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. If there is no Zachariah, there is no John the Baptist. And if there is no John the Baptist, there is no herald announcing the coming of the Messiah. And if there's no herald announcing the coming of the Messiah, the prophecies in the Old Testament regarding the Messiah are unfulfilled. And if any, any of the prophecies of the Old Testament regarding the first coming of the Messiah are unfulfilled, then Jesus did not fulfill all things. And if Jesus did not fulfill all things, then he did not complete God's plan of redemption for you and for I. And we must perish in our sins. But behold, you will be mute and not able to speak. Zechariah paid a price for his unbelief. His unbelief did not make God take his promise back. It just kept Zechariah from enjoying it. When we do not believe God's promise over our life, our individual life, our specific life, we do not necessarily destroy the promise, but we destroy our ability to enjoy the promise. What made this such a severe punishment was that Zachariah had such good news to share. He had the most incredible news to share, and he couldn't share it. And you know what's interesting to me is that many Christians in this time would not consider this a punishment because we willingly walk around mute. And we have good news to share. We have good news. And we walk around with our mouth closed all the time. All the time. God was up to something 
in both Zachariah and Elizabeth's world, but he was also up to something in the world. There were two babies that were to come, John and Jesus. One was a gift to Zach and Liz, and one was a gift to the entire world. You see, God is sovereign. And though he invites us to participate in his sovereign will, he will accomplish his will regardless. God made Zachariah mute because he didn't believe. But maybe some of us need to just be quiet in ourselves and figure out how we can trust that God is up to something, even if we can't see it yet. Listen, I think we all know this, but I'm going to say it anyway. Infertility may end up being a part of our very own life story forever. Prodigals may not ever come home. Healing might not come this side of heaven. Addiction may suck the life out of one of our loved ones. We may struggle with mental illness always. Strained relationships may be a part of our family dynamic. The dream job may not happen. But we have to know this in our deepest, deepest soul, that God will always accomplish his way. And he is working in your life. Pastor Tim Keller wrote this this week. He said, I have stage four pancreatic cancer, but it is endlessly comforting to have a God who is both infinitely more wise and more loving than I am. He has plenty of good reasons for everything that he does and allows that I absolutely cannot know. And therein is my hope and my strength. We can't know everything, the whys, that my friend said, why me, why not me, why, why, why? I don't know about you. I don't want to worship a God I can figure out. I don't want to kneel before somebody that I understand every motive and reason of what's happening. My God is so big and so majestic that someday the angels that would terrify us if they were in this room will be worshiping next to us at his throne. That's the God we worship, and we bow down, and we adore, and God will always accomplish his way. He is always doing something. He's always doing something in my life. doing something in my life, in my family. He's always doing something in my life, in this church. He's always doing something in my life, in Second Street. 
He's always doing something in my life. And the church is always doing something in my life and in the world. But it's up to us. It's up to me to believe it, to receive it, and to give it. I'm going to invite Lauren to come back up. And if you don't have communion, if you want to raise your hand, if you would like to take communion with us, um, and the ushers will get you one. We celebrate communion together as a family. And we celebrate communion as we gather together at this table, this, this table that is the Lord's. And if there's anything I know about the Lord's heart, it is for unity. It is for unity in this church and it is for unity in the church as a whole. And as we gather together as family, I'm going to ask you to do what I have asked you to do before. I want you to look to your left. I want you to look to the right. I want you to look in front of you. I want you to look behind you. Because this is your family. These are your brothers and sisters in the Lord. And this is something we do as an act of faith as a remembrance, as a reminder of what that babe who came in a manger would grow to be a man, fully man, fully God, who would go to the cross for you and for I. So someday in eternity, as we gather around that throne side by side, every tribe, every tongue, saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. So as we get ready to take this, I have some questions I would love for you to think about. Is there anything you've been waiting on God for? And how are you doing in the waiting? Are you believing? Are you doubting? Are you contending? Are you growing hopeless? And as we take this time together, you can pray God's will. Will it be done in your life? Do you believe? And if you don't, ask him to help you believe. Ask him to help you believe. I'm going to take, if you've never used this little cup before, just the very top peels back and you can take the cracker. If you want to take the cracker. On the night our Lord was betrayed, he took the bread and he said to his friends around the table, take and eat. This is my body broken for you. 
way, he took the cup. said, this is my blood poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. We're going to have some time to contemplate and sit. I'll come back and close this out.
light in the darkness because that is who he is it's who he is it's up to us to believe it and receive it and give it God I pray I pray we believe help our unbelief help our unbelief help us to believe that you're doing something even when we can't see it help us to not grow hopeless but stay hopeful God show us show us everything you're doing around us because you're doing so much all the time and God will you make a way where there seems to be no way in so many's lives in this room will you will you touch them with your healing hand god we believe help our unbelief in your son's name we pray this amen our friends bob and jan are going to be up here for prayer i just want to encourage you to come for prayer we believe in prayer. Come up and have some prayer tonight for anything. It doesn't have to be about anything that we've talked about tonight. And I want to encourage you to come back each week during this series as we learn what it looks like to believe, receive, and give. Love you guys. <laughs>